0: Welcome to Black Women's Health. I'm Dr. Rahman. I have a compelling story from Dr. Dunbar. Sit back and listen.
1: Wonderful, okay. So I was um, born in West Africa, Liberia. it was very sort of community driven. Um, you know, I, I, when people ask me about back home, I I talk about how if I was out, everyone was raising me. So everybody knew I was Sonia and Bill's daughter. So if I cut up while I was out, (laughs) any, any of the, any of the seniors or anybody in the community could reprimand me. Um, so it really was, you know, I was raised by village. It was, it was sort of, it was a community effort. And then in 1980, after the first of many military coups in Liberia, my family relocated to uh, the states um, initially in Baltimore. And then we settled in Virginia thereafter of trying to reestablish ourselves in a new country, a new culture. Um, and then high school was local. Um, I went to the University of Virginia for mm-hmm. architecture, surprisingly. Um, and after that, I actually practiced um, Sort of construction management in retail and commercial space for almost ten years, um, and it's interesting how life sort of steers you. I I believe in in the area that you're intended. So, I had two big losses in my life. One was my sister, who passed away very early from breast cancer, and that was sort of the beginning of I think the shift for me towards medicine. I had an interest. Um, but I think, you know, I didn't have anybody in my family that had been a physician. I certainly didn't have anyone in our immediate circle that looked like me that um, came from a background like I did to be able to, you know, have a conversation and get some mentorship. So I honestly didn't feel like I was capable of being a physician. So at that point, I went towards, you know, volunteerism. My sister um, was my she was 31 when she was diagnosed with breast oh, cancer man. um and she was she was an amazing human being and was um i think not i think i shouldn't use that word she made me feel so loved mm. um at a time sometimes where i i don't know that i had that mm. um so her loss really that was the first shift for me after my mom passed away. So I ended up going to post back because none of my undergraduate ed- education was uh, in medicine. So I had to do all those prerequisites and then, you know, applied to medical school, which I completed in New York. Where I was in my life when I went into medicine, I really was at a point, again, having gone through all those losses and recognizing that, um, you know, life is 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 sort of a journey and, and what you see may not be the root cause. Um, Mm -hmm. so osteopathic medicine really spoke to me. So I went to a DO school in New York, Toro. Um, so it's been, I say, I take it, I've taken a very windy road, but you know, in retrospect, I don't think I could have done it any sooner because I think every step has informed and solidified why, why I went into medicine and even sort of the shift that I continue to make. Um, and when I got into medicine, it became who I am, right? It's a passion. It's something I take home. I, I'm i constantly wanting to better myself, improve how I can um, provide care, improve what resources my patients have access to, better my skill set, my technique with some of the things that I do in clinics.
0: It takes a lot to say, I'm going to truly pivot in my life and I'm and how old were you at this point
1: gosh let's see when I went back to school um I was okay early 30s okay yeah all right and so so it was it was a late (laughs) stage pivot no (laughs) well not late late but a true pivot (laughs) Sure. So, yeah. Okay, um, yeah. You
0: said I'm going to be a doctor. What kind of doctor did you want to be, or did you know at the
1: time? Um, I didn't know yet. I really didn't. Um, and I really took med school trying to figure out um, where I wanted to land. I had an interest at that point in sports medicine because I really wanted to work with those that were inherently active um, at the time. I thought that's where I want to be. I had gotten into Taekwondo before I started um, med school and had, you know, I really enjoyed that, that environment, that, that sort of competitive place. Um, so I really wanted to work with those people. So I had a long range goal of of doing a, spe- a fellowship. Um, so while I was in med school and with my, you know, electives, I tried to expose myself to, you know, how am I going to get to this end goal? And even in residency, I continued to do that. Um, but I didn't know if it was mm-hmm. going to be surgical or non-surgical. Um, but I'm, I feel, ble- you know, I, I'm glad I did family medicine because it, it's who I am, right? It's, it's, uh, Okay. It, it family fits medicine. Me, yeah.
0: Talk to me about the sports medicine.
1: Yeah. Um, so really it was, it was a one year fellowship after residency and the goal, you know, I went in again thinking I was going to deal with sort of the elite and super active, super motivated. And the fellowship was at Rutgers and at Princeton. It was sort of a, a combination. I split my time between mm-hmm. Princeton university and Rutgers university and that was, it was an amazing experience because you, you know, I got to work with high level athletes um, doing really medicine as well, um, but also sports. So anything musculoskeletal, a fair amount of ultrasound, doing regenerative medicine. So using, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with PRP or bone marrow for orthopedic conditions. So it really was a fantastic fellowship, concussion management, really sort of the full breadth. Um, made some great relationships and connections, Um, but I also realized that there's a whole swath of the community that deserves that care, and they may not be sort of these elite, Um, so as I finished up fellowship and started working right now. I work in, you know, a community setting for, you know, I'm an employed physician for a hospital system and my patients, you know, run the gamut from high school all the way up to 80 or 90. Um, and I see acute stuff. I see chronic stuff, but there's opportunities in all of that to change someone's life, right. To really get them to see the value of exercise and nutrition and um, taking care of yourself and, and really being, the mm-hmm. creator of your own health. Um, and that's, that's really where I've settled now is, is how do I maximize that, that potential And a part of the fellowship goes in significant detail on orthopedic conditions. Um, so, you know, more than just you have arthritis, it's, you know, what else is coexisting? Um, it's breaking down. Well, is this rotator cuff tear really a surgical or a non-surgical rotator cuff tear? Um, it's being able to work closely and dictate, um, physical therapy recommendations. It's, um, you know, being able to rehab somebody after an injury to get them back to sport. How do you return somebody to sport after an injury? Other things that I do, there's the medical side. So do you Mm -hmm. have a type one diabetic athlete? Do you have an athlete with shortness of breath and is that asthma or is Mm -hmm. that vocal cord dysfunction or is that um, something else? Um, How do you work up an athlete who's having, you know, exertional symptoms? Is that truly cardiac or otherwise? So there's the whole medical side of it as well, that if you're dealing with just an orthopedic surgeon, they don't have the medicine. Um, And more and more, there are athletes of all forms um, that come with medical, or coexisting medical um, diagnoses or conditions that have to be optimized and managed while still keeping them active and athletic. So that's, that's the value of having a non-surgical sports medicine person like myself to help with all of that. I mean, another big thing is what we used to call female Mm -hmm. athlete triad. Um, Now we've realized happens in males. So it's now we, you know, we think of it as a relative energy deficiency, um, and how do you navigate that for athletes? That's stuff that orthopedic surgeon so explain, doesn't have. Explain um, the female training triad. In. Yeah. So in, in young athletes, young females traditionally, and again, now we know that this happens in males, when you're overtraining, um, it's the triad is essentially um, dysmenorrhea or they lose their period mm-hmm. um, or they're at risk as of, as a result of losing their period for osteoporosis, they have some form of disordered eating, which again puts them at risk for stress fractures. Um, so recognizing that in athletes or who are susceptible to that and screening for it and then putting interventions in place so that we don't see osteoporosis in 30s like we are seeing or we're seeing in females because those things were going undetected and they were being put on birth control to give them their period. Um, and then we lose the opportunity to recognize one of the main symptoms, which is lack of getting a period, right? They don't get their period. They aren't taking in enough calories to support the amount of exercise they're doing. Um, and then they put, you know, the, the athletes at risk for stress fractures and osteoporosis. Right. so that's one of the screening criteria as well. Body mass index, um, you know, do they fall below? When did they get their first period? Have they gotten their first period? Um, how many periods are they getting a year? Um, so there's, you know, there's some, there's some criteria that we look for um, to say, gosh, is this an athlete that we need to worry about? Do we need DEXA scans? Sure. Those sorts of things. Yeah. Nutrition referrals, so that kind of thing. I'm
0: hearing you say that while you enjoyed the challenge of the diagnosis with these athletes, you wanted to broaden it to everyone. You know, whether you are athletic or not Correct. athletic.
1: Correct. Because of the goal, if we're truly going to change, and what I think, you know, what I'm working towards is really changing healthcare. If we're really going to change yes. people's health outcomes, we can't just continue to manage disease. And we can't just continue to focus on, you know, the cream of the crop, so to speak. We have to start earlier in kids, um, with nutrition and exercise, and we've got to intervene in communities and sections of society that are being lost. Um, so if I, if I want to have that impact, then I, I need to broaden my, my reach. Um, so that's my goal. Tell
0: me about how would you compare the various treatments for arthritis, medication, cortisol, uh, cortisone, um, PRP. Are they equivalent options? Is it just the price factor or is one actually better than the other? Okay.
1: If we were to take dollars off the table, if, if everything was accessible to everyone and dollars off the table, I would 100% go straight to PRP injections for mild to moderate arthritis, hands down. Interesting.
0: And, and that's because there's less side effects, yeah. or is that because there's a better result, or both?
1: Both. Both. Yep. You don't have the, the, the destruction of the cartilage like you do with cortisone. Um, you know, most people tolerate cortisone injections well. Some will have, you know, sort of this post-steroid flare get a little facial flushing 24 48 hours after um with prp you don't you don't get that um you don't typically get a flare at all and their pain and their their ability to stay active is controlled for much much longer than a cortisone injection um it's just a better it's a better treatment strategy of
0: cost if i was paying for this out of pocket what would it cost me
1: And that's truly region specific. That's the other thing. It just depends on your local market. I mean, here in Minnesota, where I am, it can run anywhere from $450 to oh 3000 grand. And it's all over the board. How
0: will this affect last yes. once I get an injection?
1: Again, it's about the underlying arthritis, which is where I think it's important to make sure you're getting these things done at, at a reputable place by a physician that they can teach patients what do we think we're doing and what are the expectations? So in mild to moderate arthritis, PRP can give you a year's worth of relief, you know, six months to a year's worth of relief. Um, even more. Now if you're treating someone who has more advanced arthritis, then that may be a hill that PRP can't climb. but there are other options when it comes to regenerative medicine. There's marrow, bone marrow, Um, there's also the opportunity to do what's called lipoaspirate or to do almost like a mini liposuction. And then you emulsify that fat and you can treat, um, again, the joints with that. Um, so there's other options, but it starts with what is the diagnosis? Is it the right diagnosis? Um, being able to fully Mm -hmm. evaluate x-rays and or MRIs and, and understand, you know, is this arthritis too advanced for PRP? So the patients are making informed decisions, and and they're being told what are the expectations, and not not giving them hope that is even, you know, if I could just throw something else into the mix, um, when we are treating osteoarthritis or treating someone with platelet-rich yes. plasma, I think it's important to optimize them nutritionally as well, right? So if we are not addressing the underlying, what I think is really root cause, then we're not getting the full benefit of, of the care that we can provide. So nutrition is huge. Oh, I tell you, I have, um, you know, we, from a standpoint, there's the educational component, right? We know that research exists, that um, diet makes a difference. What we eat makes a difference in um, the output from our body. So whole food plant-based, there's been, research done that that actually reverses coronary artery disease better than any statin that's out there um so we know that by research but for me it has been because of a personal experience with it so i don't know six months or so ago i sort of completely changed my nutrition because i was blessed enough to run across a program that has been easy for me to do and has been easy for me to coach others to do where I've been able to get myself off of the sugars and off of the processed foods and really convert myself and my household to a whole food, I'll call it plant predominant because we still have a little bit of meat protein and it has revolutionized my life, how I feel, how I function, um, how active I can be, how much energy I have for my family and for my patients. So nutrition for me is the beginning and being a sports medicine doc who has preached exercise and activity for, you know, I don't know how many years we're missing the boat if we're not, if we're not addressing nutrition It's a good thing, but I'm, I'm coming up on the, the number, you know, the years that my mom passed away. She, she passed away at 51 and I'm 48. So, um, I'm certainly getting to that number where your mortality becomes a little bit more palpable. Um, but for me, I actually went looking for patients, right? I said, there's gotta be a better way for me to help my patients. I don't have the knowledge and the skill set to really guide them to health. I don't want to manage their disease anymore. I actually want to get you healthy. Um, so I went looking because I felt deficient as a physician. I didn't have the skills. Um, and that was the impetus and I've been blessed to, to have done it for myself and (laughs) <laughs> so there's actually a, um, a nutrition program that was designed by a critical care physician who, again, had this, thankfully, yes. um, this burn in his belly yes. about we are working at the wrong end in healthcare. We need to get on the front end of things. We need to intervene earlier. So he really designed this nutrition program that comes married with a personal coach, a one-on-one coach. You get plugged into a completely virtual online community of like-minded people who are all trying to modify their health. There's educational content, which for me was the holy grail, because the last thing you want is to push another diet. It's about changing your lifestyle. And the educational content takes people through that process. Understanding food. why, Why do you have the relationship you do with food? How do you truly eat for health? What's the value of hydration? How do you introduce physical activity, which is different than exercise? I mean, it it really is a longitudinal sort of well done curriculum. It comes in in the form of two books, but it's something that you sort of make your way through as you're losing weight so that as you get closer to your goal weight, you understand how to eat for health and you understand how to maintain your health. While you're losing weight, there's you know, you're put. You're using what are called fuelings or um, somewhat of a meal replacement that you are eating, but it's teaching your body how to burn fat. Right? You're losing those glycogen stores that we all are hanging on to, and then you start burning fat, um, and then that's how you lose that weight. And it's done.
0: Okay. So why? Yeah, why you absolutely you can.
1: I think what's missing with that is the coach and the community. For sure. The coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's value in having not just an accountability partner, um, but someone who can guide you through the process. Cause there's always going to be struggles. There's always going to be questions and having access to someone who can walk Mm -hmm. you through that process for sure makes people more successful. Um, So I think there's tremendous value in having a coach. Yes. And the community. Yeah. Because I think there are times when we all don't want to do, or it may be challenging to do and recognizing that where you are is where everyone else has been having access to someone who has been through that struggle, being able to dialogue with that person, share the victories, share the struggles, um, so that you have camaraderie and you have the ability to nurture each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, similar mm-hmm. to, you know, like I was discussing earlier, being back home, being raised by a community, right? No matter where I went, somebody was there. Mm-hmm. There's value in that, right? There's yes. value in that contact that, yes. you know, even now in the middle of COVID there's value in community. That's, that's what's saving most of us. Um, it's all done virtually because we can't have that one-on-one that person, that in-person so that community is vitally important. Right now, being an employed physician in a health system, um, the vast majority of my my patient care is centered around orthopedics and sports medicine. When there's opportunities to talk about lifestyle, which I, I do daily, I take that. Um, you know, I would love to at some point really Throw myself into a lifestyle medicine practice, right? Which is really centered around treating root cause, really centered around nutrition, still treating people with biologics when appropriate. So, almost a blended practice, but lifestyle medicine would be the foundation. Um, yeah, so for sure by email, um, always accessible on email. And that address is Sarah Veet, spelled S like Sam, A-R-A-V-I-T, wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, at gmail.com. So that's always a good way to get a hold of me. And then alternatively, the phone number, 612-486-2183. Yeah, so the email is Sarah wellness. so S-A-R-A-V, like Victor, I-T, and then wellness, all one word, at gmail.com, and then the phone number, 612-486-2183.
0: So there you have it. She followed an unbeaten path. She did it her way. She realized the importance of health for all, not just the elite. And now she's turned her attention to stressing the importance of nutrition for all as it forms the basis for good health. Please do not hesitate to contact this woman, to look her up, to find out more learn your options, you too can reclaim your health.